Do you feel confident that we've clapped correctly? I, I feel confident that I did clap, yeah. <laughs> Definitely clap. <laughs> Didn't miss hands. Um, that's cool. I had a friend with dyspraxia in school who used to always kind of do stuff like that, would miss his hands clapping, and um, swung around his like, boot bag and concussed someone by accident because he couldn't uh, tell the difference. But I suspect he may have just hated that guy and blamed it on the dyspraxia. Um, oh, if, if I had something like that, I'd definitely use that to hit people I hated in school. 100%. Well, I mean, <laughs> I've told you to stay at the schools, Dave. Um, it's not good for you. You need to you need to stay away. Taking Yagami's lessons to, to too much heart. <laughs> and we can probably leave this all in. Uh, start the podcast now. Podcast theme song. Hello and welcome to another episode of the All Right Pal Podcast. It's me, Ben. Uh, this is the inaugural All Right Pal Podcast Awards show. And joining me, as always, couldn't imagine without them, is Dave. How are we doing, Dave? Uh, I'm doing pretty great. It's an honour to be here. Uh, I'd like mm. to thank my cat, Ruby. Uh, she was the biggest support for all of this. Your plus one. And um, I was going to do a Chris Judge bit, but I haven't <laughs> seen the video, so I can't make any real references. So just, just imagine that for 20 I did. Minutes. Um, yeah. He just talks for 20 minutes and then <laughs> talks about his mom. Big, big mama judge. Um, judge Dredd. I don't know. It's um, I'm dressed in approximately the same thing the other games developers wear when they go to the awards shows. <laughs> so, um, pajamas. Um I don't know, there was a big Twitter thing about that, people complaining about people not dressing up nice enough for the for the awards, um, but I digress. In our awards ceremony, uh, we got a two-episode run, uh, so this is the pre-show where we do the minor awards, um, like uh, best nerd, uh, a worst nerd, uh, best cool person, best TV show, best character, best old game, potentially best film, we'll see if we get there. Um, and various other rewards, uh, and then also in the second part, which me and Dave will duke it out for the honour of deciding what is the objectively best game of the year, according to us. Yeah. Uh, how do you like, feel about that, Dave? Everywhere else can suck it, we have the correct opinion. Right? Absolutely. Like, uh, and, and Spoiler, we'll- it's uh, High on Life, uh, world's <laughs> funniest game. Uh, <laughs> high on Life will be on that list. Um, Will it? No, it won't. Yeah, because sure. I played it. I played it, so it has, to, it has it. to be. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, you can't have liked it, though. I no, would fight you tooth and nail. <laughs> I didn't like it. And, you know, it has it has the one of the first video games with AI-generated art in it as well, um, interestingly. Yeah, as if there wasn't more reasons to hate it. Right. Yeah, it's it's not a great game. Um, but we're, we're, we're burying the lead here, Dave. Uh, we need to get on with our, uh, with our thing. So what, how this is going to work with the pre-show is we're going to talk... Um, at length, we're going to gaze into some navels uh, and we're going to give five games or five TV shows or five characters that we are going to bring each. Uh, and then we are going to do by process of elimination, find out what is the best of these categories. Um, first up is best TV show. We love TV shows. We talk about them on the podcast. We talked about a bunch of them on the podcast. Dave, what are your five choices of best TV show for this year? Uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. The Rehearsal, Pachinko, Dairy Girls, and The Good Fight. Sorry, I was just writing all this down, uh, so I know what I'm going to um, eliminate <laughs> I you, first. I thought you died for a minute there. Like, no, no, no. I just need to write them down so we know. I know what to, I know. My enemy. Um, oh, and man. I, <laughs> for my top five, Better Call Saul, 
Pachinko, Andor, Blue Rock, and your boy Kong Ming. I've actually, I'm going to eliminate Pachinko because we actually said Pachinko twice. And I'm going to submit Kaguya Summer Season 3 in there. So that's better cross all Pachinko and or Oh, cheekily, knowing that we both like Pachinko, so mm-hmm. you're like, ah, I get an extra fifth choice, Dave. Well, well, I, I, right, well right, I noticed right, you didn't right, you didn't put better right. cross all on your list, did you, Dave? So obviously there's some uh, something else going. Unless you don't like that one, <laughs> did you not like better cross all, Dave? It, it was it was close. It was between mm. better cross all almost took the fifth spot, but I was looking at it purely as this as its last season, not as a whole. Okay. Well, we have to choose one of these 10 TV shows to destroy. Um, do we want to... How do we decide? I, I will I will volunteer to go first to eliminate one of my choices if we take it in turns from now on. How mm-hmm. do we feel about that? Yep, yep. So I will, I will destroy... I don't want to destroy any of these. I like them. Um, okay, I'll make it easy. I will destroy your boy Kong Ming. The boy coming was really fun. It was about, um, you know, Big Sun Tzu. Uh, no, it wasn't. It was Kong Ming. Yeah, it was about Kong Ming. Of course it was. It's in the title. Uh, oh, man, I'm all it's over the place. It's not Being called Sun Tzu, man. Like, this is, this oh, is going wow. horrendous. It's a Jigga Liang. Um, a Kong Ming going to the past, uh, or to the future, uh, after being in the past. And this is horrendous, man. We have to do better than this. Um, I guess it's just me talking. Who's we? Minute, but it was Who's a great show. I'm exactly. doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing fantastic uh but sad sadly it just doesn't well, it's eliminated say, you next <laughs> i'm just gonna say and because i have editing power no one will ever know the difference like yeah i'm gonna say something that's actually better which is about kong ming he goes to the future um and manages idols uh in the future it's a really really funny tv show it really surprised me but it still pales in comparison to the rest of the choices on this list please delete that first part it was horrendous okay Go for it, Dave. <laughs> uh, my first deletion will be the good fight. It was. Mm. It took the fifth spot, but the fourth, the first top four was quite easy for me to pick. But the fifth was agonizing. Like Better Call Saul nearly made the list. The Boys nearly made the list. House of the Dragon nearly That's made good. the list. Severance nearly made the list. Oh, it was agonizing. I'm, I'm not even sure about that choice even now. I really mm. enjoyed the good fight. I think the one of the reasons I picked it is it just feels kind of really timely. Uh, finger on the pulse of where we are right now. Uh, so, yeah. But even then, other things like on that list, The Boys also seems to really understand where we are right now. And Better Call Saul knows where we were. Mm. That sounded deep, oh, to- didn't it? Yeah, man, that was great. That's that's yeah. a soundbite. You're going to leave that one in, aren't you? And then also be rambling for five minutes about your boy Kong Ming. Um, oh, I hope that never makes it to air. Uh, but it's the pre-show, of course. You know, it's uh, better than the Game Awards pre-show. Um, so you said you left off Better Call Saul. So maybe because we are the collective will, this is the podcast's best TV show. Maybe we should eliminate Better Call Saul next. Uh, would you like to eulogize Better Call Saul as to why it did not make your top five? Endings are hard. Um, and for mm. a show that isn't just ending, it's it's almost like a coda to Breaking Bad as well. Uh, I, I love getting to see Jimmy come to a conclusion which felt natural for the character. But other characters didn't necessarily get as much as they're due. Kim did, to be fair, but 
Mike just sort of disappears into the ether halfway through the season. I mean, none of these are bad things necessarily, but those were the re- like those were the reasons I couldn't, in good fairness, pick it over something that had managed to juggle its different storylines and characters. Not necessarily better, just I don't know, give them more of a do. Hmm. I don't know. I had it in my top five because it feels like when I think back to this year, it will be on there as one of the things that I watched. Whereas I can't say that's the same about you know necessarily a lot of the other things um but that's my choice uh, and we will eliminate it as the collective will of the group uh what's your next elimination dave my next elimination oh i guess it'll be the hard one mm. i think i'll go for the rehearsal um, wow okay okay the rehearsal um absolutely loved nathan fielder's weird experiment can't wait to see more uh kind of want Angela to be a season two character, but it won't happen. Uh, <laughs> Angela, man. It was an incredible, what a, what a show. Like, I, I sang the praises of this show endlessly for like, if, well, not endlessly for a few weeks. Um, that's quite of impossible. But, you know, for the month around watching it, I told everyone in my life to watch it. I watched it with my parents. They didn't like it that much. Um, they just thought it was a bit weird. Uh, and indeed, many of the people I recommended it to just thought it was a bit weird and didn't understand why I liked it. But they don't need to understand why. It's Nathan Fielder. It's incredible. Um, definitely a highlight that I actually forgot about when compiling my list. So I'm really <laughs> glad it made on there. Uh, else it would have probably been on there instead of something like Andor. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of things on my list that I only put on the list because I realized it actually aired in January. So it's like, oh, it actually does make the cut. January um, seems more than a year ago. Um, or that was on my list of 15 things that I had to call from. Uh yeah, nothing on here I think is actually as early as January for the top five. Fifteen. Wow, that's deep. Well, we've been very nice so far. Like in the in the spirit of like a gentlemanly conduct, we haven't been um you know, striding into each other's lists and trying to cut them. So I'm gonna cut Derry Girls. Uh do you have any disagreements with that? Oh wait, we're allowed to that? cut each other's lists. Oh, yeah, fuck, yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have done just, that. We've just been like... real nice. I'm gonna cut Derry Girls. <laughs> Um, uh, you've been nice. I would have definitely cut one of yours before one of mine. Um, <laughs> well, I'm glad we're getting this in the pre-show, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, you can cut <laughs> stuff from my list for sure. I'm cutting Derry Girls. How do you feel about that, Dave? Uh, why do you hate the Irish, Ben? Um, um, I, I don't I don't need to explain. Did, um, did you not like the English bashing in it? Like, Yeah, I, it, it offended my sensibilities uh, <laughs> as a prideful Englishman. Um, no, it's, it's being cut, Dave. It's up to you now. It's been cut. Oh, it's there's there's not even a debate about whether it gets. Well, cut. I mean, you can plead you can plead for its case, Dave. But do you really think it's going the whole way? Do you think uh, it's going to beat? Uh, I don't think know, it's going to be top, top spot. Like, I think it could easily sit in a top three, but I don't think it actually can take the top spot. It was one of the funniest shows of the year, uh, and and when you include all the other seasons, one of the funniest shows of the decade. Period. Um, well, that sounds like something we want to keep then. Let's go for top three then for Dairy Girls. Uh, I will suggest Andor instead then. We've both watched that, haven't we? Yeah. Um, okay, let's get rid of Andor. Um, yeah. Andor was probably the best Star Wars things they've made in quite some time. Um, so you were going to say something. Oh, no, I'd, I'd totally agree with that. Like, it was definitely the best of the new Star Wars media. Just, it just didn't quite hit the heights that it was maybe aiming for for me. Like... I'm a lover of science fiction, good and bad, and while 
you know, it does have a lot of like, you know, progressive politics in it. It's like it's not that unusual for me. Like I'm like well, you know, you had the in fact remember back in uni when we watched Battlestar Galactica together? It had a storyline about how, you know, suiciding bombing occupation forces is not just you know, morally okay, but right. <laughs> and this is at the height of the Iraq war, so it's like I don't know. I'm I'm used to sci-fi swinging for the fences politically, um, so I wasn't quite as shocked. Well, I mean, I was I was shocked that Star Wars had decided to go political all of a sudden, um, and it was nice to see. I hope uh, Disney doesn't fuck with that in its second and last season, but I get the feeling an executive is going to look at its ex- success and be like, "I've got to stick my name on the product." Uh, I'm going to give some decisions from up high and it's going to be not as good, unfortunately. Maybe not. Maybe they'll let um, the man behind the show do what he's been doing. That would be nice. Like, I think it's continued to prove that you still can tell good, grounded human stories in the Star Wars universe, which is something that I kind of doubted you still could um, in years past. You know, After all the big movies, I kind of thought, is Star Wars still for me? Can I still enjoy a Star Wars product? And the answer is yes, yes, you can. It just needs to, um, it needs to be half decent, really. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so cool. We just got rid of Andor. Um, do you have an elimination for me, Dave? Uh, Blue Lock is getting in the ocean. Oh, Dave, you can't do this to my football anime, <laughs> Dave. No. I'm doing it to your I boys, man. I'm doing it to your boys. <laughs> I love my football anime. <laughs> I think it's my favorite anime of the year, but okay, okay, okay. Blue Lock can go. You're not even going to type it. Oh, wow. I guess I guess. No, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to learn to let go, Dave. In a time when we need football the most. In a time when, you know, it's very timely. It's of the time. Did I mention that? Uh, people, <laughs> it's, it's just relevant to the heartbeat of the politics of everyday life. We need to know that if we get trapped in a death hexagon of which we are forced to play football until we get on the Japanese final team, there is hope for us uh, and we can triumph. And I think that's a very touching thing. Um, what does Dave love that I can eliminate? Wait, eliminate they... Dairy Girls. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> I was going to say, wait, they have to play in a hexagon? That's, that's yeah. not very football. Like... Uh, it, it's, it's like a huge hexagon training facility, which they're all trapped. Which you would know if you watched the show, Dave. Um, I, went to, just I, went to, it I went to look for, you know, one of those legitimate sites where you download it all at once uh, to watch mm. offline. Yeah, uh, yeah. Those sites that definitely exist, um, that yeah. are legitimate. And yeah, I just couldn't find it in a whole season. I, I think it's because uh, it's still airing its first season. So yeah, keep your excuses for the post-show, Dave. Um, <laughs> I don't want to hear them. Fine, okay. So, I will be a good guy, and I'm going to eliminate Kaguya-sama Season 3. I really enjoy Kaguya-sama. It's a really, really funny show. Um, I think it takes a lot of rom-coms and takes them to in a way that I think is really special. It makes them into kind of like a weird shonen battle, uh, where they're always trying to think up strategies to kind of beat each other. And this season was the best of that. Like, by far one of the best... Um, uh, like arcs that they've ever had in the show and the manga in the anime it was incredible to watch but unfortunately i just don't think it can go the distance against the big hitters and glad it went this far uh, but it, i'm going to settle for it being top five uh, and we'll see what dave is going to go for next over to you dave um i'm going to eliminate dairy girls at this stage if, if we're mm. keeping it around for a bit um 
yeah, I think I think this is a good time for it to bow out. Okay, Dairy Girls. Thank you, Dairy Girls. One of the funniest shows of the year. Uh, and really, really funny. I especially like the expressions that the main girl makes. They're incredibly entertaining, and I watch videos of them online because she's very funny. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, Dave, I have none of my entries left. Um, so it's up to you. Wait, none, uh, of, none I, of yours I, are left? No, we eliminated Better Call Saul and or Blue Rock Kaguya-sama and your boy Kongming. Um Oh, wow. So I, I have an elimination I'm feeling there. victorious, yes. But uh, yeah, yeah, I would definitely pronounce the Tory in victorious, yes. Um, I, <laughs> I would... Uh, How fucking the, savage, man. The, um, there's, uh, I mean, there's insults and there's calling somewhere. Tory, man. <laughs> Tory. <laughs> I apologize. Did you ever play those little games, the Tory games, which were like the... Um, where you play as like a little yellow chick and you've got to find the eggs and the sunshine and stuff? I have no fucking clue what you're talking about right now. <laughs> okay, okay, we'll show. We'll, we'll see if it if it makes it to best old game. Um, but we have we have actually two left, right? We just have uh, Star Trek and Pachinko, and I can argue for Pachinko, but Dave, please state the case for Star Trek. Um, I will preface this by saying I don't think it's number one, but I will make the case anyway. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Give it a fighting chance. It's a show which, being a Star Trek show, in recent years, like with Star Star Wars, they've been coming back. There's a bunch of shows, and none of them have really managed to properly capture what made the show so good in the first place. Mm. And that's, to me, a mix of optimism and looking at hard human moral situations and this show dives into it in a way that discovery refused to um picard is a weird mess that is way too navel gazy about the history of star trek to be enjoyable and that's coming from a fan of star trek i even like that some of the bad ones like voyager and enterprise but it's also that it's like, also leans hard into an episodic style of storytelling, which is sorely missing from the media landscape in terms of television. Everything is heavily serialized. Everything is designed to be binged. And I'm just a little fed up with this. I, I like having a story that is told in the course of an episode. And on top of that, it's just the characters were just phenomenal like uh led by the amazing anson mount but you've got uh i forget his name something peck uh playing spock who i wasn't too sure about in his discovery appearances but i think that was down to the writing on discovery but here he's just phenomenal in the role has uh made it his own without necessarily treading on the legacy of leonard nimoy i think the Spock fucks, basically, yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's allowed to fuck. I also hope they'll let him fuck some dudes. Uh, you know, it'd be nice. Mm. It's not nice for anyone, really. Especially <laughs> yeah, Spock. Um, Kirk's supposed to turn up next season, so it'd be nice if there's some sexual tension there. Um, mm. But yeah. Maybe it, it could, maybe it could win next year's best TV show if it does. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I think, uh, for example, when you look at the first episode of this new season, it tries to tell, like, a story that's, like, holding up a mirror to where we are as, you know, um, first world society today. Like, the divisions between us. And it's not entirely successful in that. But the reason I still like it is it tried. It actually Mm. tried to tell a story about something rather than hide behind platitudes because you'll find discovery does that a lot they'll just have a character give a speech and you know the music will swell and the plot goes the way it's supposed to go it's it's tiring like okay well that's uh, that's star trek um i didn't watch this one uh if i had to ask you dave as well what would be the andor of star trek would it be this yeah no i, th- I think uh oh, andor, andor of star um, trek and Strange New Worlds have a lot in common, uh, particularly in the sexiness of their casts. Like, mm. they both. So, have would you say that Andor people. isn't even the best Andor this year? Um. Uh, I don't know. Andor's got the serialized thing going on, and it's, it sticks to one, you know, examining fascism sort of thing going on. Mm. Whereas, you know, because Star Trek, it's an episodic thing. It's different things, and. It, I think another thing I really liked about uh, Strange New Worlds is that it's got that old sci-fi feel, like, you know, those sort of, like, Harlan Ellison novels, or, you know, just taking, like, a concept and running with it. Mm. Cool. Well, that that was Star Trek. Uh, and I think that it's a bit of a contest, but I think going in, we knew what our favourite TV show of the year was. Yeah. Uh, and it was Pachinko. And uh, what Pachinko is, it is a look at three different generations um, of uh, Korean kind of diaspora uh, in Korea themselves uh, during the Japanese occupation, uh, their eventual uh, emigration to go to Japan uh, and the experience managing a Pachinko parlor there and also just living in Japan in general. And also then the move to America uh, through three different generations, essentially, of, uh, of the family. Uh, and what it is, is it's masterfully woven together to bring these kind of emotional crescendos that you just couldn't believe. You love these characters, but you manage to love them in such a way that isn't really like a linear way of storytelling. It stitches them together uh, so that you kind of see all the similarities in the way they're treated, no matter what time period they're in and how, how they stay the same and how they change and how that affects the way they live and the way they find their surroundings and the way they, 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 they think and also how they interact with other people, other members of the diaspora um, and how they approach their own identity, how they approach what it means to be Korean in a place that is no longer Korean and what it means to be Korean in Korea. Um, I thought that it was a superb show, the likes of which I haven't seen in many, many years. I thought it was brilliant and it wasn't a hugely innovative show in the type of source material it was covering. It felt like a big budget movie that you've seen before. Um, but I think the way in which it tells the story, I think is very innovative. And it's also brand new for the adaptation. The book doesn't have any of that kind of storytelling in it, uh, which I think really is something that wouldn't really work in a book. It would be very confusing. But you can stitch together and come up to your own conclusions, your own persuasive conclusions as you watch it on the screen. It, it's a wonderful thing to watch and the cast kill it. Um, yeah, definitely my favorite TV show, Dave. Do you have any uh, have anything to say to crown our winner, our number one TV show of the year, Pachinko? Oh yeah, absolutely. I can go on mm. and on about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the other reasons when I talked about like Andor doing its like political thing, like one of the other reasons I wasn't too, I was impressed but not blown over is because the whole look at fascism and the way like 
impacts people, destroys communities, etc., was done much better in Pachinko. <laughs> like, mm. And Pachinko also has the added benefit of it's actually happened. It's a real event. It's not space fascism. It's 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 the fascism that actually happened here, and it's still creeping into the modern era, just in a new form. And it was yeah, also could... willing to show them because one of the other problems I had with Andor is that when it was discussing it's uh, showing it's fas- uh, the fascism of the empire it was just meetings it was just meetings between people in the empire you didn't really see the effects on the people you i mean you did a little on ferrix but even that was very tame it was like that's kind of <laughs> what you would see in the average cop show for example never mind something to do with like you know we're trying to claim this is actual fascism whereas like in Pachinko, the Japanese occupation of Korea, the way they show that and how that affects like the community, the individual characters, their relationships with each other. I mean, when, when I tell people about Pachinko, I'm like, it is a show that made me sob because of yeah. three bowls of white rice. Like, <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's in the show, it's because um, Sunja, the young girl in the past and the grandmother matriarch of the family in the modern era of the show uh she's getting married and the mother who's never had the best relationship with her really wants to give a dowry something to show that even though they're dirt poor that she's got something to offer and she tries to get a hold of some white rice which isn't allowed for the koreans and it's the scene with her talking to the merchant and you just it's when it all sort of comes to head it's like it's an act of resistance for both of them it's an act of love from the mother who struggles to show it it's just oh man like that show how how they do that like yeah it's phenomenal and there's a callback to it later on as well when you know like two generations later when they're sat in their house in japan or just a generation later no, it's two, it's two. It's with Solomon. When they're sat kind of having the bowl of white rice around the table as uh, Solomon's trying to persuade this woman to kind of give up her all that she has left of her heritage and her family um, in order to basically advance his own single-minded progression. Uh, and they kind of have this touching moment as they eat the white rice. It's um, Yeah, yeah, and they both discuss how, how rare it used to be. And, ah, oh. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, for me, I loved the uh, my one of my favorite parts of it was when the same woman was trying to like learn how to read uh, and uh, write uh, Japanese. Um, was it Japanese or was it no? She was just learning how to read and write. Period. I think right. Um, and um, how she's kind of rushed through the proceedings. Um, yeah, her lawyers are like, oh yeah. no, it's just it's boilerplate stuff. You don't need to read yeah. it. She's like, no, I want to read. This is for me. Like, it's important that I read this because I'm doing this, you know. I'm, this is this was not the reason why I'm reading it, but this is part of my independence. It's part of, you know, the thing that I want to do for myself. And Solomon, like, doing it for his independence, he's doing it for himself, kind of sees that. And he's like, oh, this is a woman that I'm taking advantage of. Um, this is the worst thing. I need to I need to go run away and uh, dance in the rain. It's beautiful. I, uh, I'm looking forward to rewatching it in anticipation of the next season, which is what we're getting. So... Utterly fantastic. Yeah, I, it's just, I an show. absolute tragedy that hardly anybody seemed to have even heard of it, much less yeah. seen it. Like, 
I know, so I know a lot sad. of Apple TV shows sort of languish a little. Ted Lasso kind of broke into the cultural prominence. Uh, so did uh, Severance. Severance, yeah. yeah. Okay. Which... I only heard about it. I didn't even hear about that it was good. In fact, I've never heard anyone say it's good apart from us, um, <laughs> which is messed up. I heard about it because I saw the music video on YouTube of the opening credits um, of the opening theme song. It's it's woefully underseen, woefully underseen, but it's fantastic. Um, anyway, that brings us on to our best character, and I will announce my five, Dave. If we've got any overlaps, I do have some in the wings that we can bring in. <laughs> Didn't realize I was supposed to come with five, but all right, let's do this. Oh, how many? How many have you got, Dev? <laughs> Just one. All right, okay. Well, I've got I've got something you can have. I can um, I can wing it. Don't worry, I've got it. Okay, well, um, I have in the runnings. Kohanzu. was that the one that you had, Dev? Ah, oh, it was. It's really annoying. Like... Okay, I've got Sunja Bek, Lemon Mina, Andreas Mara. And Rani the Witch. Um, so just to reiterate, sorry. Sanja Beck from Pachinko. Lemon Mina from Citizen Sleeper. Andreas Mara from Pentiment. And Rani the Witch from Elden Ring. And I realise now that's only four. Um, so I'm also going to go for <laughs> the monks from Pentiment. Great. Okay, well, um, we've got six, six contestants here. Um <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how did we go from from I only have four to six? Well, no, because uh, I decided to count yours. But you, you go for it. You go <laughs> All for it. Right, who, right, are, right, who are your right. characters, Dave? Um, uh, I think we'll go for. I was. Uh, well, Sundra was going to be one of my choices. What was the name of the 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 the, the man she was originally in love with? I oh, you mean Koko Ko, Ko Hanzu? Hanzu, um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm picking him mostly just because of the smouldering sexiness. Um, yes, but also his um, like I was talking about this before, and I forgot to mention it. But the storytelling is non-linear for every episode, apart from his episode, which is linear, and it's like one of the best episodes in the in the show. Um, yeah, because it, it like it gives layers to his background without necessarily making him sympathetic necessarily. Yeah. Um, he's understandable rather than he, he becomes more of a product yeah. of the world he lives in rather than yeah like it's not like they're setting him on a redemption arc or justifying his you know behaviors in before that episode um it just makes him seem like a, a human being rather than a character in a world mm. uh like yeah, how different is he from solomon really um, you know, in the way he approaches things, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, oh man, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like he is, a, him and Solomon have a lot in common, actually. Yeah. Cool, sorry. So uh, you had some more. So we have Kohanzu, first one of yours. Uh, who else we got? Uh, I think we'll go with uh, Slippin' Jimmy for my second one. Slippin' Jimmy, yes, okay. Let me write these down. So we have <laughs> the man, Slippin' Jimmy. Carry on. Uh, I was also a big fan of, and I don't remember her name, but who is it that you play in the third act of Pentiment? Wow. Um, yeah, that's right. She's in my top five, and I don't remember her name. <laughs> oh, what's her name? Uh, wow, she's actually a playable character. I've forgotten her name. 
Um, uh, hang on, I'm just going to search it up, and don't worry, I will cut this bit down. <laughs> do you want Do you want Kim Wexler in there as well? Mm. Admittedly, it's, actually, between her and Jimmy, it's uh, it's kind of a, a hard choice. Actually, I'm going to go back. You're right. Actually, I'm going to pick Kim Wexler over Jimmy. Um, I'm going to unpick the monks, and I'm going to pick Herod. Um. <laughs> Magdalene. That's her name. Mags. Every, as everyone. Well, I say everyone. Indeed. There's just one, one person in particular who keeps being told not to. Um, okay, we've got those. Uh, so the list currently is Kohanzu, Sunja, Remen Mina, Andreas Mahler, Rani, Kim Wexler, Howard Magdalene. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Two more, Dave. We'll go for Captain Christopher Pike, Anson Mount. Might be because I have a crush on him. Who is the second one, sorry? Uh, no, no, it's, uh, it just said the name of the actor, Anson Mount. Oh, I thought you said Anson Mount. And I was like, <laughs> oh man, I haven't heard of this one. <laughs> and I think I'll go for a bit of left field here. I kind of really liked um, Andrew Garfield's character in Under the Banner of Heaven. Uh, I think he did a really good job of playing a Mormon detective struggling with his beliefs. Like, and I thought that was quite an interesting character. It's the main reason to watch that show. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go for him for number five. Give you a wee. He he was in my top fifteen, but he didn't make it past the first round of deliberations. So. Uh, I also like to watch Andrew Garfield suffer, uh, and we've got Andrew Garfield. So, best characters. Sunja, Kohanzu, Remen Mina, Andreas Marler, Magdalene, Rani, Kim Wexler, Howard, Captain Christopher Pike, and Andrew Garfield. Uh, <laughs> the actor Andrew Garfield. Uh, and since <laughs> I was the first to eliminate last time, take it away, Dave. Uh, Andrew Garfield, I'm sorry you're getting in the ocean. Sorry, Andrew Garfield. <laughs> I'm going Man. to drown you. I raised you up, uh, and then seconds later, I'm holding your head under the water until the last bubbles stop. This feels so much worse than not nominating him at all. Um, <laughs> does it? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. It well, he's not gonna, he, only to I'm sorry, he's not going to be eliminated. He's not going to win an Emmy for it, so it's not like it's just the best he can hope for. <laughs> like. Mm. I'm sorry, Andrew, if you're listening. It's, it's no slight on your performance. It's just there were better ones this year. And he's definitely Sorry, listening. Andrew. Right. Well, um, so we've had, we've got a few different people here. Um, Captain Christopher Pike, I don't know much about him. Is he in the Star Trek? Yeah, um, his, char- his character is from the original series. Uh, mm. He has a very tragic past in the original series and as strange new world is set before that tragic conclusion they wisely made the choice of making his character aware of what's going to happen to him so he's grappling with wanting to avoid his future while knowing he can't really change it he knows he's going to end up in a horrific accident and end up in a chair where he can only talk with beeps because in the 70s, that seemed like a really good idea um, for, you know, treating the disabled. But, yeah. you know, that kind of seems funny now, um, but not not the point. 
And I just think uh, Anson Mount does an excellent job instilling the character with the right amount of pathos, but also optimism, a stubborn belief in doing the right thing anyway, but also bringing in a very human fear of where he's going to end up, how to open Mm. himself up. He's really good at leading the show. He's kind of like the show's dad in a way that the captains have never really been allowed to be before. Um, there's several scenes in the, in the first season where he's just cooking a meal for his crew and chatting with them. Uh, so, and it wasn't, in fact, Strange New Worlds wasn't even his first appearance because he did Captain Discovery in its second season. And he was phenomenal there. Oh, he was a breath of fresh air. Uh, and a show that was like, because in its first season, Discovery was trying to be like, I don't know if it was trying to be, but it ended up coming across very bleak. The twist was that its captain was from the, uh, a mirror universe and he was evil. And it just kind of cast a pallor over the whole season. So to have like him come in as Captain Pike, it was just like from his first scene, he just commanded the room and yeah brought hope optimism and everything else that star trek is supposed to be back to the series and he is almost a catalyst for everything else in strange new worlds because everyone else is great brings their a game but he's that special sauce well you've eulogized him so magnificently i feel we need to eliminate him now <laughs> but, uh, but i actually don't want to eliminate him he sounds great um so I'm actually going to nominate Rani the Witch for elimination. Any disagreements there, Dave? Uh, yeah, because, you know, she's she's a goddess. Uh, I chose to serve her internally. And yeah. Yeah, like, I, I do have a bit of a problem with that, actually. Okay. There's um, actually not much to the character, if I'm honest, because, you know, FromSoft's <laughs> whole thing is to not explicitly state things and allow you to fill in a lot of the gaps yourself. Which she I is think inscrutable. Is an interesting thing too. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, um, if you don't want to give up Rani, can you give me a suggestion? Who else do you think we should get rid of? Um, uh, I think we get rid of the monks. I think the monks. I actually already go. got rid of the monks. I oh, you already got rid of the monks. Oh, you swapped them for Howard. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, Howard. You're not. You're not. You're not getting rid of Howard a second time, Dave. He's my boy. <laughs> Leave Howard alone. <laughs> Can we get rid of Andrew Garfield again? Um, (laughs) You can have him shot in the head. uh, Okay, okay, Howard. So Howard, you're my beautiful boy. You were always misunderstood. And no one knew how misunderstood you truly were. You're my favourite character on that show. I love you, Howard. I'll always miss you. Um, you you played the roles incredibly on Breaking on Breaking Bad. You didn't you weren't in Breaking Bad, but you, you were so good. I thought you were. Uh, you were also <laughs> incredible in Vertical Soul, um, and you didn't deserve the horrendous end that befell you. Um, I'm so sorry, Howard. Uh, go for it, Dave. Uh, yeah, I liked Howard as well. I think it's really kind of interesting. I think it's one of those cases where the actor brings a lot to the role. Because I think originally he was envisioned much more as, and you can definitely see it in his early appearances in the first season, where he's just meant to be the more villainous one. He's the one who's in Jimmy's way. But I think they very smartly realized that the better thing to do was to actually have it turn out to be his brother who was against them and have Howard be more of a 
he's kind of a people pleaser and i think that's what yeah. makes kind of what happens to him quite sad because he's not he's kind of self-absorbed but in shows like in breaking bad and better call salt if that's the worst thing about you you're actually doing pretty well <laughs> he he's self-absorbed but he shows so many signs of not wanting to be like he's someone who's desperately trying to be better, to do better, to do right by people, but unfortunately he just can't uh, for many different reasons. Um, he's someone who I think has been kind of unfairly maligned by uh, by Jimmy's anger and Jimmy's petulance at Chuck because he doesn't have a Chuck to hate anymore. It has to be Howard that he hates. Um, and I think that uh, Howard really suffers for that of just being, you know, basically a stand-in what Jimmy has left. So because Jimmy can't hate himself, so he's got to hate someone. Uh, and after Herod dies, there's no one left to hate but Jimmy. Poor, poor I Herod. mean, yeah, I think that's always a shame because, like, particularly after Chuck had died, Howard tries really hard to do right by Jimmy. Like, yeah. And he is such a prick about it. Yeah. That's why you're not getting picked, Jimmy. Like, that's, that's why you're not on our list. You're a mean <laughs> to like him. <laughs> Okay, well... Although I've got to admit, the bit with the bowling balls was really funny. Like, when uh, Jimmy throws the bowling balls at his car. Um, when, he, when he was just doing real petty shit to Howard, that was funny, I'll admit. Um, mm. But it, it definitely goes to a dark place when he just sets out to destroy him completely. Yeah, allegations of cocaine abuse, dressing up as him, um, <laughs> those kind of things. Oh, that, when uh, when, he, when um, he was dressed up as Howard, that was that was classic. The Booting booting uh, a prostitute out of his car, uh, sorry, a sex worker out of his car. Um, very funny. Uh, cool. So he's he's unfortunately met his end once again. Uh, who 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 who's suggesting for me here, Dev? What uh, one of your Japanese anime people? Uh, I'm actually not sure which one to pick because i'm not i don't know who they are uh which are you referring to here dave the one from i'm presuming it was from uh the zugi liang show uh is that right is one is that one of your choices no Um, no uh, can you which one are you referring to here i Um, don't i don't remember the name i'm just well we've got uh sunja from uh from pentiment from pachinko Kohanzu from Pachinko, Lemon Mina from Citizen Sleeper, is that one? Uh, well, I mean that's that's one you picked, but did you not pick one from one of your animes? I didn't know. Um, oh Andreas Malad from Pentiment. I'm, I'm looking so um, uh, racist named right now. Uh, no, it's fine. Rani, Rani's an anime character, and she's already gone. Um, and Kim Wexler is actually from a famous anime as well. Um, I don't know that. <laughs> yeah, the character's actually not from Better Call Saul. Uh, yeah. Wexler is actually a very famous Japanese clan. Um, it's understandable <laughs> how you could get that mixed up. Um, but uh, yeah, well, I mean, you've got a few choices you can get rid of here, Dave. I'll just read them out once again. Sunja and Kohanzu from Pachinko. Lemon Mina from Citizen Sleeper. Andreas Mahler from Pentiment. Magdalene from Pentiment. Kim Wexler from Breaking Bad. And Captain Christopher Pike. I'm going to go with Andreas Miller for now. Wow! I I, I like Andreas more than I like Magdalene. I... I mean, he's definitely a more complicated character, but he is a bit of a chump. He, he is a chump. He is a chump. <laughs> but he's got really bad problems. And I like it when people are fucked up, Dave. Um, like, <laughs> Magdalene doesn't really have that many problems. I mean, like, Andreas is messed up, man. I yeah, absolutely. And I, but I think the thing that makes Magdalene more interesting for me is because um, in part of the theme of the game, 
she kind of has to clean up the mess left behind by the generation before her. Like, mm. um, for all of all of the co- problems that Andreas Mailer caused trying to do the right thing, or maybe you just think he did do the right thing and, you know, all the bad things that happened weren't his fault. Depends on how you look at it. But either way, she's the one that has to clean it up. She's the one that has to decide what to do with it, how to help her community move forward or look back and stare into what they did. It's I think they were very smart to recognise that Andreas couldn't be the main character of the third act. Of course. But I, th- I think uh, Andreas's internal palace, like his id, his ego, all being visualised in his mental map and his maze, like I think the complexity of the character is visualised through his dreams adds a level that Magdalene can't really aspire to. Like I think as a character, Andreas is a much better character. Magdalene has a better story in that act, I think. Yeah, and I think maybe uh, the reason I was doing that, I was picking it as well, is because I had a lot of fun with Magdalene. Yes, yeah, uh, so part's I, great. Game's I amazing. Picked, um, I picked I picked the uh, backstory option for her that allowed her to have really sassy and kind of offensive retorts to people. So you could mm. just be like a prick in conversations if you wanted to be. And I didn't really do it that often, but there was uh, a few times where I did like, I was like, no, that insult's too savage not to pick. Um, I also yeah, really no, like the characterization could... of Ox as well. Sorry. I really mm-hmm. like the characterization of Ox, where like I went in fully expecting him to be a complete doofus, and he's actually a perfectly fine guy. Like, you know, like, um, you know, like I thought he was just going to be a bit of a chump who's overly domineering towards you, and it'd be very, very easy just to be nasty to him. And I find out actually the more you learn about him, the more you realise that he's actually not that bad of a guy. He's just a bit lonely, um, you know. Yeah, it was kind of like a case of like realising that even though you really wanted like an independence for Magdalene, and yeah. you wanted her to be free of the expectations of people like her at the time. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that the people who also want that for us wants to be, you know, her husband. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's a bad choice. He is actually... No even by the standards of today, a really good dude. Um, so yeah, I think that makes it more complicated, more interesting. It makes you think more. Um, however, I think you have convinced me that it's actually Magdalene that should get the axe right about now. Still fantastic, fantastic characters. We will hear more from Magdalene in the Game of the Year awards, I think. Um, I should hope so. Uh, but yeah, Magdalene, uh, incredible game, fantastic character. Uh, sets to kind of right a lot of the wrongs that yourself have perpetrated in the previous acts, uh, does her very best and hopefully ends up in a good place. Um, yeah, there we go. There's Magdalene. Um, I'm going to nominate Rem and Mina for the next cut. Uh, do you have any disagreements with that? I do not. Um I love the characters in Citizen Sleeper, uh, mm. but they're only as deep as they need to be for the plot. Um, yeah, I, I think Lem and Mina, to me, made it there because of the way in which their story ends. Um, like, I think it's very, very easy to like a nice child like, like uh, Mina um, and to sympathise with a tortured parent like Lem who's desperately trying to provide for his family but just can't. He takes any job and tries to offer you as much uh, kindness as he possibly can, but he's just devastated. Um, very, very easy to sympathise with them. Incredibly likeable. Very easy to like. Uh, but lacks maybe a bit of the complexity that I think other characters in that 
in that game manage. Still a fantastic game full of amazing characters, great writing, great story. The ending in particular left me with a really, really memorable place in my mouth uh, as I grew older. Um, uh, well, what, did you, what, what did you do with Lem and Mina at the end? Because I, I, I did everything to make sure they could get on the ship. I went on the ship with them. You went on the ship with them? Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. I couldn't quite um, bring my character to go with them. Um, yeah, well, you, you don't actually go. You can still keep, like, you know, through every ending, you can still stay. Um, and I kind of had realized that, but I felt like the ending you get is you basically grow older and eventually, you know, it comes to the time when you're about to pass and Mina says thank you as you pass away and you drift into space. Um, you know, like, and your, your life ends um, being surrounded by people that love you. Uh, and uh, that was the the true happy ending of that game, I think. Um, yeah, like I, I think that's really cool because I don't know. For me, it yeah. was like the, when you're presented with the choice to actually go. I think I got right up to the bit where it was like, okay, this is it. If you if you choose to go, you go. But if you don't go, that's it. There's no chance. Yeah. And I I guess one of the choices I agonized the most over for my character, but I just felt like my character had too much unfinished business. Um. That to also go was a bit of a death sentence because I hadn't. I don't think I'd solved the problem of like uh, the deterioration of my body uh, in that one. So I was also kind of dooming the character to a short life, but it would have been a happier one. Uh, it was a choice I felt like even after I'd made the choice not to go, the character regretted immediately. Mm. Um. I don't know, that's one of the things that was really cool about Citizen Sleeper. Um, and a, a real laundry list, um, a real shopping list, sorry, I don't know what a laundry list is. Um, a shopping list of great characters in uh, Citizen Sleeper. I also had Emphis, the fungi cook, uh, Ankita, the bar owner. Um, what was the the really like asshole mercenary who lives in the dive bar? Oh, I forget well. his name. He was awesome. So many good characters in that game. What a great game. Really, really enjoyed it. I think we'll see it later. Uh, and I'll pass it over to you, Dave. Um, choices are Sonja Beck, Kohanzu, uh, still Andreas Mahler, still surviving, Kim Wexler, and Captain Christopher Pike. I guess between Kohanzu and Kim Wexler right now for me. Ooh, so we, 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 are we potentially cutting Ko over Sonja? Yeah, yeah, no, I think Sonja mm. is, is, is more interesting and I cannot to disagree with that. Incredible performances from all of the actors who play it. Um, it's, I mean, to be honest, with like Pachinko, it's a close thing between a lot of the characters. You could pick a lot of the characters and it would feel like, yeah, that is a character that is deep, excellently hmm. performed. Uh, and I think maybe it's a little unfair that Sunja has the advantage of probably being the primary character in the narrative. Uh, but, yeah. She does a great job of it. And by okay, she, okay, cool. as you pointed out, multiple actresses who play her. Yeah. Um, so yeah. we've got Ko and Kim Wexler. Um, who's, uh, who's, who's going here? I'm going to take Ko Hanzu out. Ko Hanzu, okay. Take him out behind words. the shed and hand him a samurai sword, which I think he would then try to kill me with because I don't think he would go for the whole mm. kill himself with honor thing. He can go back to the animes he's from. Uh, thanks, Dave. Um, <laughs> uh, don't worry. I, uh, it's all funny. I should have actually probably given some anime characters, um, but I don't actually watch anime, so it's really hard for me. Um, oh, yeah, you're so, yeah, not a nerd. Yeah, um, hate anime. Awful. 
nerd cartoons. Uh, pass it on to uh, to Kohansi there, Dave. What do you what do you think? Uh, have, well, have we covered him enough? Maybe. Oh. I think we kind of have covered enough. But if you want me to say another nice thing about him, uh, he looked damn good in those suits. Mm. Uh, and I also really like how he managed to, when you see the episode late in the season where you get his backstory, uh, the one during the Great Earthquake of Japan in like the early 1900s, there is a vulnerability to the character that was always kind of present, which is explained with what happened with his dad and his position in the world and how close he was to getting out of the world he was in. Uh, that I felt like was kind of like a masterstroke from the character, like uh, not the character, the actor, to actually like have that balancing act in place to give him mm. just enough vulnerability to be human, despite up until that point, by that point, he'd done quite a few inhuman things to Sanja. Yeah, go hands you. Okay, it is my elimination. I will eliminate. How do we feel? Is Captain Christopher Pike going to go all the way? Do you think he's going to... I guess if you were deliberating over Kim Wexler, then I think that is the one I should pick. Love you, Kim. You were uh, the real thing that made Jimmy slip. You were a fantastic element. Like I think every single person going into Better Better Call Saul and who kind of got established by Kim from the start of that series thought that Jimmy was going to be the one who led her to a dark place. Little did they realise that Kim was the dark place. She lived there. She was moulded by it. She owned it. Um, <laughs> and she loved it. She loved the thrill of adrenaline of getting mixed up all in it. Um, I was born and... in a Jimmy. <laughs> you nearly adopted it. <laughs> uh, Kim is Bane. Is, uh, is incredible. But yeah. Uh, Kim Wexler it was a fantastically performed character. Um, it's just making the way in which that ends really heartbreaking actually and where it goes and the love they have for each other they're an absolutely perennial pair they were beautiful together uh, and it was sold fantastically by the way in which kim moves throughout that story uh, amazing character really really defined that kind of latter half of better call Saul, and it wouldn't have been anywhere near as good without her so the highest praise possible for kim wexler now over to over to you dev okay i'm going to go after andreas this time i'm going to shank him in the shower Mm. Fair enough. He's made it far enough. Um, Andres Marler, I think, was kind of... The things I loved most about the character was really personified by his the linking to him and the Lady of the Maze, the apparition of Mary Magdalene that appeared to the wandering farmers. Those that were lost, that did not know the way, uh, were guided by this maze to find salvation. Um, Andreas is lost. He doesn't know why he's lost. He's just been forced into this life and has found himself even beyond his wanderings, still wandering, still searching for his purpose. Um, he has many, many, many roles thrust upon him um, and he finds it that he needs to shed pretty much all of it to find salvation. Um, and I think the character's progression through that maze, the ways in which his kind of, his regrets, his sorrows are kind of personified in the different corners and turns and people that are trapped in the maze as he tries to find kind of his purpose and find his way out of... Um, the life that's kind of been put in place for him, even as an educated man, um, I think was uh, truly touching and comprised to make it, I think, one of the best games of the year. Even though I think in many games that are like this, the main character is really an afterthought. 
I thought Andreas was a fantastic character in a cast full of characters that were also living, breathing people. Um, and I, I really enjoyed the ways in which he had problems and couldn't overcome them, despite none of them presenting themselves like to you at the game. Like, the game never tells you that he really has problems from the off. He's just a character. And you find out that, much like any other character in the game, he has a backstory that existed before you got there. That there was things beneath the surface that you didn't know about that you still need to discover. And it's not just the area, the history of the area that you discover, it's the history of the people that live there, and Andreas is no exception. Uh, and I thought he was a real highlight in that game of real highlights. What a fantastic game. I'm sorry we have to lose him. Yeah, Go for like, it, I totally agree with that. Like, I think mm. the thing I also really liked is that he sort of, he begins kind of as like, I mean, you get to pick like a Lothario type for him. You get to make him a, like a playboy if you do, yeah. if you so desire. I did anyway. Um, and I think early on, he kind of, even though he does kind of have, you know, concerns about the life he's going to end up leading. It's like, does he want to marry and stuff like that? They are the kind of concerns that virtually everybody else does not have the luxury of being able to consider. He is, even in his hardest moments, extremely privileged. And unfortunately, other people pay the price for his decisions, which I think is a fascinating position to put you in as the main character because games are so often wish fulfillment. Um, I think that's one of the reasons yeah. why, even though as much people love games, uh, games like New Vegas, which Josh Sawyer also worked on, it's nowhere near as good as Pentiment because even in those games, it's still a wish fulfillment. You're still the most important person in the world. Everything goes on a dime, what you say. The world bends to your will. Whereas in Pentiment, the world is like in real life. It's out to crush you. But that just makes the actual decisions you do get to make, the impact that you have on the world, even as the smallest of ways with like, the characters you talk to all the more important like ah uh, yeah no um andrews is great like <laughs> fantastic um but maybe suffers from being a character in a cast of characters that are so strong it's very difficult to pick them as being like a you know a character that can really carry the weight right um you know like it's like it's not the andrews show um that game but he is a you know a fantastic character yeah but okay. like, like, like we said, they recognized that even though he was the character for the first two thirds of the game, that he wasn't the one who was able to carry over the finish line. I don't think other games yeah. would do that. I think they'd be like, how do we make the game work so that Andreas can be the one to carry to the finish line? I think there's just a, an amazing amount of self-awareness about where the characters needed to be. I wonder if it was in the planning stages that they knew all this, or if it was something that only mm. came about as they developed that they knew where it needed to go I'd, I'd really be interested to hear about how they like actually wrote this game that's cool well um, I'm afraid that leaves us just Captain Christopher Pike and Sunja I'm afraid Dave I'm going to have to pull a card on us I know that it's the um, it's a collective list and Captain Christopher Pike has gone very far I'd probably like him if I knew him but I'm afraid <laughs> I just don't know him Dave I mean, so, I, I don't disagree. I'm actually a little mm. shocked he made it to second place. Like, mm. um, you had your chance. You eliminated Andreas. Um, uh, well, I mean, you gave me that choice, and I already told you which one I fancied. So you know, 
Fair enough. Is it your I, fault? Uh... Is it your fault, Andreas didn't make it further? <laughs> I think so. No, it's Andreas's fault for not being sexier. Uh, you said it yourself, Dave. Go for it. Go for what? Captain Christopher Pike. Give him oh, a, right. quick, a quick eulogy. Sorry. A quick uh, I didn't really mean to have, have such a, a moment of silence for Andreas Mahler's sexiness right there. Um. <laughs> Andreas Mahler, we hardly knew you. You didn't take your shirt off. You should have. Not even once. I don't even think Pike takes his shirt off, but I wish he would. Um. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I think part of what makes his character so good is down to the acting. I really like Anson Martin. Mm. Um, he was one of the best things about a TV show he made before Hell on Wheels. Um, I did not watch any of them in that Marvel TV show he was in. Uh, it looked really bad, uh, and I don't want to sully my thoughts about him. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I just it's nice to see he's made it this far, like in our list. Number two, life. <laughs> yeah, and that leaves number one, Sunjabek. Hello and welcome to the Pachinko Fan Show. It's me, Ben. Uh, two <laughs> awards for Pachinko in a row. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe we should have uh, restricted this slightly better. Don't worry, Pachinko cannot win Best Old Game, which is coming up next. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Are you sure? Are you sure she can't? Uh, they can't. I mean, I guess we'll see from your nominations. If you nominate Pachinko, I have to roll with it. Um, but what can be said about Sunja? Um, like she shows such a unbelievable variety of performance. Like we talk about the complexity of a character in Andreas Mahler. I think Sunja's so complex because you get to see multiple different characters played by different actors that give contribute to a greater whole. I like the reason why I think she's elevated over all the other characters in that show is because you get an amazing award-winning performances from both from both those actors who play her at those parts of the game. Well, I think there's actually three as well. There's like a young Sunja as well, right? Yep. Um, three three actors who do sterling performances, um, all which build to this tale of a woman who has desperately been forced out of her homeland and is desperately trying to find her way back um, in many ways. And realising very, very late in life that she wants to go back, um, I think is kind of wonderful. Um, incredible. Incredible show. Nothing more to say from Sonja. What a character. You should watch it if you listen to this and you still haven't watched Pachinko. What are you doing? Please watch Pachinko. Dave, some words about our winner of Best Character 2022. Sonja Beck. They, they make so many interesting decisions about her. Like, mm. Despite the fact that she is sort of the matriarch of the family in the modern era, which is the 90s. Uh, she, despite being yeah the, the matriarch, she's not necessarily listened to. Solomon doesn't take what she says seriously mm. until midway through the season uh and when he actually starts to really understand what she means by like it's not that she had because she talks a lot about how much she had to sacrifice to get them to where they are and it's not so much that she wanted recognition for that sacrifice but she wanted solomon to see the world for what it really is what it's going to demand from him as it goes on yeah. and I think it's great that she was able to inspire in him the choice he makes in that boardroom where he's like, don't take the deal to the lady with the, who's holding the property. Just totally fucks his career and everything else. And he's just like, yeah, no. But also that she's, she is 
allowed to be very flawed, like uh, how she'd been with um, Solomon's stepsister. Yeah. Uh, she'd been unfair to her, the um, her son's second wife. Uh, yeah, she just gets to be delightfully human in a way that the main character in a lot of leading and a lot of le- shows would not be allowed to be. Um, mm. You'd feel like the lead actor would be like, "Nope, I am not playing somebody who can be a total dickhead at times." But Sindra gets to be as complex as humans actually are. Uh, yeah, she gets and to there's, so, so- there's so many little scenes as well that stand out to me. Like I love the one where she gets really excited about the uh, the, the Christian um, priest, not priest. It's um, like a father, a holy man, a vicar uh, coming around to their house, and she's like excited like a little child. Um, and you kind of find out why that is later on, you know. Um, like there's so many, so many like little callbacks uh, that I think would really do well on a on a um, on a second watch through as well, which maybe maybe is what we have to do in 2023, the second pachinko watch through. Um, but sorry, I cut you off, Dave. Oh no, that's fine. Uh, I was just gonna ramble more on about things that I liked. Like um, I also really liked how she was strong when they arrive to Japan and she has to like suddenly become very independent. Um, not just before her husband gets arrested for political insurrection, but she does it in a way where it feels like it is a real struggle. It's not her gumption that gets her through. It's hard work. It's pushing against a world that does not want her or need her. It's, Hmm. They do a really good job of sort of comparing her to her sister-in-law, who you also get to see her take care of in the modern era as well. Like, she's still taking care of her sister-in-law who looks up to her, who wasn't able to be as strong as her. It's Man, the family dynamics are just so good in that show. It's brilliant. Cool. Well, we need to we need to stop talking so much about Pachinko. Um and so for our next award, Best Pachinko, um, <laughs> the Best Old Game, I will list out my Best Old Game nominations and you can list out yours, Dave. So the rules for Best Old Game, a game that we played from this year that uh, was from a year before this year. Um, and I think as well, we need to be kind of... Um, the spirit of it, I think, is that it's a, you know, a game that maybe we've known about that's been on our radar before this year. Um, so my nominations are Umineko uh, episodes 1 to 8 <laughs> if I'm allowed it uh, Melty Blood type Lumina The House in Fata Morgana Death Smiles 1 and 2 Black Label Collection and Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance what are your 5 Dave? what are my 5? oh again I have to count with 5 uh, I'm really sorry. I should have gone through this uh, <laughs> a little more specifically. We're, we're real prepared. We're a professional outfit here. Um, uh, Psychonauts 2, uh, Inscription, Lost Judgment, Mass the Effect, Attorney. Um, and The Greatest Attorney. Yeah. Fantastic. So, uh, since uh, I got, I get first elimination again. And I will eliminate Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance. What a fantastic game. I really enjoyed playing this game. It was um, This year was maybe my discovery of Kingdom Hearts once again. I played so many Kingdom Hearts this year. 
and they were really fun. I did have a great time, and this was probably my favourite of the lot of them. It is still weighed down by the fact that I don't really like the Disney surges that much, if I'm honest, especially in this one. Um, and for that, no much, uh, no like end of nonsense can really make up for uh, having to play a Simba. So uh, I will pass it back you to, to you. Play a Simba. Not in this one. I think oh. it was the Seven Dwarves in this one. Uh, but you have had you've had to play as, uh, as like a lion version of uh, of Sauron. Oh yeah, times. no, no, yeah, you did. I do remember having to play mm. lion Sauron. Kind yeah. of enjoying it because it reminded me of the Mega Drive Lion King game from when I was young, which is horrendous. Uh, I don't know if you've played it recently. I, I have not uh, played so it recently. Difficult. I so re- difficult. I do remember it took a very long time for me to complete. <laughs> mm. Or I say well, me, maybe it was my brother that did it. I don't remember. <laughs> Okay, well, we've eliminated the Mega Drive Lion King game uh, and also Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance. Go for it, Dave. <laughs> uh, I think we'll go for Mass Effect next. Mass Effect. Because I have enjoyed revisiting it, but um, revisiting it has made me... Re- I mean, I always remembered it being flawed. Whenever I talk about it, I talk about how the plot just goes to hell in a handbasket in the third one but when i've gone back and played it like particularly the relationship dynamics in the game and the way you sort of like talk to your crew members is just so heavily artificial like you are is we're talking about like games that make you feel like you're the main character it's like you're literally like deciding the personality of your crew members by being like no you are you're good now or you're you're immediately attracted to me now or Actually, you're not as tra- you know traumatically trapped in your past as you think you are, because I I picked the blue option, and the blue option means you're better now. Like mm. it's oh man, I, I didn't used to think they were as bad as that. I used to remember thinking that actually that the character interactions were pretty good, um, but at the same time, it was nice to to be back with characters that I do like a lot. I like Garrus, I like Tally. Uh, even some of the other ones I don't remember liking as much. I liked more this time round. Uh, I, I haven't finished. I haven't even gotten to the third one in the trilogy. But yeah, it's been it's been kind of cool revisiting a nice wee sci fi action game. But it is definitely the one that is getting the chop out of this list. Fantastic. Okay. Well, next chop to go. Um, a bunch of great games. Um, to be honest. How do you feel about Psychonauts 2, Dave? I feel pretty good about it. Um, feel good about it? Although it could maybe be the next to go. Because um, it's kind of impressive that so long after the first one that they get so much right. Like, you'd mm. almost feel like you'd been away from the series for about 10 years that it'd feel kind of hokey to come back. But they actually managed to make the action platformer fun again. Uh, the worlds they make are just as inventive as they used to be. There's maybe not as much of a standout one as the one as the Milkman one in the first one. Uh, have you played the Psychonauts game, Ben? I have, I've played the first one, just not the second one. Um. Uh, well, for those who don't know, there is a, a mission in the first one where you go into the mind of uh, a mentally ill guy who's very paranoid. And the level is just a very normal neighborhood, but everyone is secret agents spying on you so you've got like milkman dress uh, like clearly cia milkman and stuff like that it's great it's it's very funny there's nothing quite like that in the second one but 
overall they just do a really good job uh i enjoyed revisiting the characters again and it's very hard for me to enjoy an action platformer they're just they feel like a relic of the past and i think a lot of other games that have tried to bring them back has not done a great job but i thought psychonauts 2 was pretty great cool fantastic um great well Rest in peace, Psychonauts 2. Great game. Number one. Maybe I should play the second one. Not sure. I have a bunch of games to get to. I mean, it's on um, Games Pass. <laughs> that means you get a cut now, Dave. And mine are looking pretty tasty. Go for it. They are looking pretty tasty. Can you give me a quick reminder of some of them? Melty Blood is the... I've played about 70 hours of Melty Blood this year. It is a fantastic fighting game. We've been playing it in the office a lot. I have a really good time playing it. Death Smiles is what got me onto the bullet hell genre. It is a game where you play as a bunch of um, young girls on your way into hell. And it's fantastic. It's, it's really fun. And number two is a Christmas game. And House and Fata Morgana is a really fun visual novel. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think, I mean, it's hard to pick which one because I'm actually not familiar with either of your first two games there. Uh, but I am going to eliminate Melty Blood because the names always seemed a bit weird to me. Like the names are ridiculous. Um, blood, blood doesn't need to melt; it's already a liquid. Was it Melty frozen? Blood, is Melty Blood, blood a thing? The, Melty Blood's a, an attack, I think. Um, which you do the Melty Blood. Regardless, Melty Blood is a a fighting game which is based off the Sukihime series, which is a spin off of the Fate uh, Nasuverse world. A different dimension in that world. I think this is the best fighting game I've ever played in my life. It is exceptional. I've played quite a few fighting games. This is my favourite by quite some way. The systems are incredible. It looks great. The character designs suck because they're from Fate and all the fake character designs are awful. Um, but what, the, what makes them awful? <laughs> they're just so plain. Like You've got a woman who is like the greatest sorcerer in the universe and she wears jeans and a t-shirt and that's it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like She's so uncool. And they, they have got some slightly better uh, character designs in there. Like the, the Count of Monte Cristo is one of the new characters for it, and he's awesome. And he can shoot laser beams from his hands. Um, oh, yeah, I uh, saw that one. Just 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 like the great literature. Uh, yeah. Uh, and you've also got Arthur, Arthur Pendragon, who they needed to be a waifu, so she's um, a waifu now. Um, King Arthur. Um, <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually looking at some of these characters, and oh my god, the, you're right. They're just like... There's like one that's just like a skirt and a jumper, like or a yeah. guy who's in a blue suit but doesn't even look cool in it like Phoenix Wright does. I unfortunately um, have tried to get a lot of my friends who like fighting games to play this game and they won't because the character designs are so uninspired. And I think that's a real shame because it is such a good fighting game. It's incredible. It really is good. I think it would have won... Maybe it could have been in my running for Game of the Year if I had allowed to have been picking it just because this has been every lunchtime at work for me it's been such a fantastic game but this is our list and i think it's a fine time for it to go um you're an amazing game melty blood you'll never be understood by anyone but me i get you melty blood i love you even if your character designs are rubbish over to you and me uh, i get to pick something to destroy um greatest attorney is great i'm not gonna get rid of that Inscription's a really it's good in game. It's name. It is, it is, yeah. Inscription is a fantastic game. I loved that game. Lost Judgment is an amazing game. Um, 
I will vote to kill Death Smiles. Death Smiles uh, turned me on to the bullet hole genre and it is a Christmas game, which I think needs to be given some props. What a, what a great game. I think this is actually a game that I'd recommend for anyone. It's really visually distinctive. It's a game by Cave, who make kind of classic bullet hell games. Uh, it's a fantastic game. It features a the gigantic prince of hell called Jitterbug. You fight against uh, a sat- Satanosaurus Rex. No, it's Tyrannosatan. Um, and in the second one, you fight against sat- Satan Claus to get Christmas back. Um, and it's a really fun bullet hell game um that has some incredibly strange marketing and i don't like it for the marketing as part of the marketing they sold one of the characters urine who was 11 years old as a drink that you could drink um, and so for that reason it should not win go for a it, character go for called it. urine that you can drink no they sold a character's urine what but it wasn't actually <laughs> urine it was that's like grape that's juice. so much worse <laughs> yeah uh yeah Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go for I it, guess a good reason to pick. Uh, yeah. I think this one's going to upset you, but I think my next uh, elimination is Lost Judgment. That's nonsense. How are you? How are you? Like nonsense, Dave. Inscription. Inscription is not as good of a game as Lost Judgment. Uh, I disagree. I think uh, as much as I love Lost Judgment, there are times it does my head in a little. Like, uh, mm. I, I just had to clear the motorcycle club. Uh, <laughs> it was so horrendous. Oh my god, they get so ridiculous at the end. It's like, I think there were just too many. Like, six, I think it was like 18 death races you have to do. And it's like, it just gets sort of like more comical. Like, the, the people you have to face. And at the end, they just kind of give up. Like, with like actually giving you characters. To it. They're like... Uh, okay, we'll put that guy that we use as a stand-in model, like that runs all the corner shops in the game. We'll, we'll make him be one of the people you face right near the end of the storyline. Uh, how about the guy who had a restaurant in the last game? Let's make. I thought that was really funny, actually. I mean, Mr. Kim came. They in. were um, funny, but it was like this is them starting to wrap up the storyline. This is supposed to be like the the big bad boss of the motorcycle club, and it's like his guys. It's like. They're all bit characters and jokes, whereas everyone else was like, I kind of get it, but it was just a bit weird, do you know? But it's, like, it's a side story, Dave. Like, you, you've played Yakuza games. It's yeah, like doing the yeah, Mahjong yeah. and getting annoyed at having to play Mahjong. It's your fault for wanting to complete it. Well, the thing is, unfortunately for the, for the school club thing, if I want to do the uh, mystery club, I have to do all the others. Like, I can't progress in that one until I finish them all. Uh... So it's not the, and you know, this is a problem with all of the, well, I mean, not necessarily a problem. It's just they offer so many activities to do. It's just, this is the first one that's kind of like, they've blocked a lot of the other, they've not a lot, but they've blocked other content by making sure that you have to do all of certain parts of the game. They're not, okay. they're not as optional as they are in previous games. They're still a lot of fun. I mean, Lost Judgment is on this list. It deserves to be there. Um, I it's just my think... game there last year. What a game. Love it. Um, Top tier Yakuza game. Don't listen to Dave. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll also be fair. I actually haven't finished it yet. I am oh, still okay. It's an uneducated it. opinion. Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> um, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. This will come back to bite you tomorrow. 
Um, but for now, we'll have to say goodbye to Lost Judgment. I'm so sorry, my beautiful child. I mean, admittedly, it's hard to pick a game that has Kaito in it and then mm. say it has to go. I do love Kaito a lot. Um, like you've Andrew Garfielded me. Like you've, you didn't have to pick Lost Judgment. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I'm going to pick The House in Fata Morgana. Um, I think it's an absolutely fantastic visual novel. Um, I think the first half of this visual novel is actually where I'd recommend you kind of stop. Uh, and I think it tells a story about two people that is touching, that is really fresh for a visual novel. Like the art's incredible. It's all kind of Western styled art. The cutouts are amazing. The music is unbelievably memorable. The writing is okay to good, I think most of the time. Um, and I think that the overall story they tell the two characters, as well as being actually, I think a cool representation story as well. It has some people that you maybe wouldn't expect in there. Um, I'm not going to spoil it for Dave. Anyone who's played it knows what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, fantastic game. I really hope you'll play it and you'll enjoy it, Dave. The second half is nowhere near as good. Um, so I think the first half is like one of the best visual novels experiences I've played as like a starter visual novel. Like if someone was to come to me and be like, hey, Ben, I want to get into visual novels and I don't want to make you play eight episodes of, H- of um, Higurashi or Rimaneko, where do I start? I would say you should play House in Fata Morgana because it's brilliant. It really is a fantastic story. However, we're not we're not we're not here to mess around and uh being a fantastic story for the first half will only get you so far. Back to Dave. Hmm, what's next to go? You've got Umineko left. Is there anything else on your list? No. You've no, uh, just Umineko. You've uh, then, I, then I think um, Inscription is next to go. Um yeah. very unique game. Like uh I think it was masterful in having its systems used to tell a story that was very creepy and off-putting and each thing never outlasted its welcome other developers i think would try to make the game longer try to make each phase of the game like double its length and i think that would have been to its detriment there was a lot of restraint in the game design that you just don't often see. I think it was a game that was content to be like a, a four to five hour long experience rather than like a 10, 12 hour game. Like the atmosphere was spot on. Uh, I like how it mixed decks, deck building and weird cosmic horror. Uh, yeah, even, mm. even the, the, the little. You forget that you're playing a game on a board in a room a lot of the time because it like just about any time you can just get up and explore the rooms uh but the game is mostly like a card game mm. that you play on a table but i kept forgetting that like it, i was i was so enraptured by the way that they used the board to tell a story that was so good and i, I think it starts incredibly strong and finishes incredibly strong but i think the middle bit it kind of there's a little i think it could have been a bit shorter in the middle i think um but i think in terms of like the kind of stuff it does and the really interesting stuff it gets you um it's a real advancement from pony island and the hex it shows real growth as a developer and uh, i uh, i i had a great time with the description it's such a fantastic game is it is it true that you you went to uni with a developer i don't think so um uh, did i tell I- you that no, 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 no. I I know for a fact that he did go to Abertay, and I can't What's remember. Abertay? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, what's his name? Uh, 
because because yeah there's people who um were in your year that knew him but i think maybe it was like he was like a year or two ahead or something like that because the, the guy's name is daniel mullins i think right uh yeah yeah um, i believe he yeah, yeah mullins, daniel mullins he went to Aberdeen, and i think uh no way yeah 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 so um yeah i just wondered if maybe you'd you'd encountered him in your time at the uni there i, I don't i don't know yeah exactly where it was but i just remember people being like uh talking about him uh probably walked past him in a corridor somewhere <laughs> that's kind of amazing yeah yeah i um i have absolutely no uh recollection but that's very cool um cool uh well that only leaves two games these are still the best of the best that we have in front of us and they are the great ace attorney chronicles and umineko i have not played the great ace attorney chronicles um but i think that the fact it made it this far shows it is a fantastic game and as i eliminated dave can you please play it a sad sad song okay i think you actually wanted me to talk about it yeah uh, that's great <laughs> it is set in the ace attorney universe uh the title might uh give you a clue to that uh which is a visual novel novel style game where you play a lawyer who defends criminals accused of typically murder and you have to go out and investigate the crimes and then object to things in court and present evidence uh and this is a prequel to those games uh set in the early 1900s where you play a japanese student uh naruhudo uh as he goes to england to study the law well rather he goes with his best friend who is going to study the law but his friend gets murdered and he ends up taking his place uh it's as funny as the ace attorney games always are the mysteries are fairly top-notch and some of the later ace attorney games the cases aren't quite as compelling sometimes, but everyone in The Great Ace Attorney is a banger from start to finish. Uh, they add some new features, which is great. There's a good one where um, when you get a guilty verdict against you, because ju- this one has a jury, unlike all the other games, you get an opportunity to try and convince the jury to like reverse their guilty verdict, uh, <laughs> which is a great new feature. Um, yeah. And also just leads to some very spectacular moments. Because one of the things that's just so good about the Ace Attorney games is like the amount of times they'll like lead you through the case, you gather the evidence, and you've been presenting arguments and countering the prosecution. And you think you've taken it as far as you can. And then the game's like, well, actually, we need you to take it just a bit further. And you're like, but you've not given me any new evidence. And the game's like, well, we're not gonna either. You've just got to figure it out. And it's just such a good moment. The music comes in, and the car- like all, all the cast is so good. Like you, like the prosecutor, and this is one of the best ones they've had in years. Baron von Zykes is constantly distri- going on about how much how inferior his uh, Japanese opponent is, and how he shouldn't dare even stand in the court, but he's also extremely disrespectful to the court himself, like, constantly, like, slamming his boot down on his uh, desk, or 
throwing around chalices of alcohol and smashing them about the place. It's great. I love him. He's he's kind of an asshole, but the best prosecutors in the series are assholes. And it's a game that also has um, the eponymous Herlock Sholmes, um, which is not a mistake. Uh, He is, in fact, Sherlock Holmes in the Japanese version, but when they were bringing it up out here, they ran into the Enola Holmes problem in that if your Sherlock Holmes is too nice, it was, you know, still under copyright. Because if he's nice to women, then... It shows emotional growth, and you can't have that. Uh, you, can't, you can't have that. Yeah. Although now, officially, if they were to release it today, uh, it's, it's all in uh, public domain now. So you can have nice Sherlock Holmes and nobody can sue you. But they were scared of that. And to be honest, Herlock Sholmes works so much better than a Sherlock Holmes would. Herlock Sholmes is just such a very ace attorney name, so it mm. actually ended up working out for the best. But... um. It's, it's not just him. It's like uh, your your assistant in this uh, game is... In previous games, they're more just like sidekick characters there for humor. But if anything, uh, your sidekick this time is actually the one who is uh, probably a better lawyer than your main character. Uh, I am trying to Google her name, but I keep getting links for the actual... To sell it. I'm like, no, I don't I don't want to sell it. I, I sell it, buy it. Uh... Load. Uh, Susato, that's her name. Mm. Yeah, she's great. Um, walks around in a kimono, uh, has endless sleeves where she can just pull books and all sorts out. And whenever you're in a tight spot, she's the one who bails you out despite having no legal standing of her own. Um, well, <laughs> Naruto hardly does either. Uh, He's <laughs> he's lucky to uh, even be allowed in the country at the start of the game. Um, he was a stowaway. And there's actually a great case in the second one because uh, The Greatest Tourney Chronicles is two games in one. They were released individually in Japan but released as a pack over here. And they work so much better as a continuous storyline anyway. Because unlike the other games where they usually tell a complete story within that game, this one is very much split into two parts. So... Releasing it together was the wise choice. Cool. Uh, Greatest of Tenny Chronicles. And that leaves our winner today, uh, Pachinko. No, <laughs> Umineko. Um, which is... Um, Umineko is a fantastic game. I think, like... It's actually... People say it a lot. Um, video games have changed the way they see certain situations or made them rethink things that they think about things. And I actually think it's very rare that that's actually the case. Um, I think Umineko... While I believe not a perfect piece of work, I think there's a lot of places where it kind of lasts way too long, but it always feels like that bestows some kind of soul to the thing that you wouldn't necessarily want it to be without them, even if the fight scenes, I think, are way too long. But Umaneko has genuinely made me rethink the way that I approach situations and maybe rethink the way I think about things. Um, that maybe people who believe certain things um, or choose to believe in certain things... Uh, you know, maybe that's that's perfectly valid because the pursuit of truth in of itself is actually kind of useless um, because truth isn't some kind of objective thing you can necessarily view. So why does it matter so much if their way of looking at the world is so different from yours? Um, why does it matter so much that they believe in certain things? Yeah, the fact that it the, doesn't. Yeah, 
yeah the no. fact that the game is like a big mediation on the nature of truth anyway is yeah. just fantastic like um yeah, for those who don't know religion uh, as well uh, yeah. we, have, we have mentioned it before in the podcast but umin echo is about the mystery of what happened one stormy night on rokinjima where everyone was murdered and mm. you spend time trying to solve that murder those murders and it is fantastic like oh the characters their backstories how everything intertwines together there's so many things up in the air and it just seems like it's impossible to tie them all together uh you just get the sense that some things are just not going to get brought back up but no actually literally everything has a purpose it has a place and there's um also a lot of busty waifus trying to convince battler that magic is real yeah um, um although that depends on the uh character models personally i use the original character models um like uh no i don't i'm not i'm not uh, weird oh, i am weird just not that weird um <laughs> but uh the um it's a fantastic game and i think like the way in which it's written is really interesting it's um written in i think actually quite a refreshing way it's very very like the edges have not been sanded off it's very raw um it feels like it's kind of straight from Ryukishi to you in many ways. It's very different from how it's written as uh, from the author. And uh, it leads to some fantastic uh, kind of things that happen, some fantastic characters. An amazing, really long experience that I'd recommend everyone play. It's actually quite a difficult game to get through because there's just so much of it. Um, yeah, like, I mean, and, you, you yeah. blasted through it at an incredible pace. You finished it in like three weeks. Yeah. But me, I, I took my time with it. I... Mm spent like a week at a time on an episode and when i was done with one i'd take a break i'd do something else for a while um and yeah it took me a couple months to get through uh yeah brilliant brilliant game um i guess we won't go too deep into it that's not banger of a soundtrack as well (laughs) yeah great soundtrack fantastic soundtrack uh kind of uh, hits the ground between sad piano song and uptown harpsichord techno banging um which is very difficult to do um, in fact i don't think it's ever really been replicated before um except by death smiles death smiles has a fantastic soundtrack you should listen to that uh but sadly not enough to make it win best old game uh anything more to say about umineko dave uh, that hasn't already been said by us on the podcast anything that hasn't been said um one of the, I, I don't know if we have said this, but one of the things that is seeing a resurgence at the moment is in the past month is uh, Agatha Christie style murder mysteries mm. uh, in the vein of things like people were discussing Glass Onion. And one of the things I really like about Umineko is clearly also written by somebody who has a great love for those kind of stories. Ones where you are encouraged to try and solve them yourself. It is very explicit about that nature. Uh, the uh, Noxie's ten is it ten rules or twelve? Uh, Noxie's commandments. Yeah. Noxie's commandments of what makes a good murder mysteries in there. So are Van Dyne's revisions to those rules, and yeah. it's a game where even though magic plays a huge role in it, you are encouraged to try and solve it anyway. It's great. I love it. It has. It comes across as having a very Iraqi style to it, 
of like, here's what I learned in the library this week in some places, <laughs> which I always think is fantastic. You just get to learn some stuff like Hempel's Raven. Um, there's some random, random things, uh, but I always really enjoyed that stuff. It feels like it's made by a human being. It never stops being felt like it's made by a human. And I think that's one of the most valuable things a game can have is the human touch. Um, because we want to make, we want to read and consume things made by humans, uh, not by corporations or entities, um, because humans are pretty cool and we like them on the podcast. And uh, other people that we like on the podcast. So I wanted to constitute a best nerd and a best uh, friend of the podcast section. Um, I forgot to really keep a running track of all of the ones that I nominated. We'll do that better for the next awards. Uh, but I'm just going to go ahead and crowd. The worst nerd uh, was Kyrie from Kingdom Hearts. And the best friend was Jimmy Simpson from Pachinko. Um, just because they're ones we mentioned that I could remember. Um, so not a very important word, but we'll be keeping proper track of it for next time. Um, and cool. And that's about it. Dave, did we want to do films? Uh, or do we just want to duke out maybe our, our best film? Uh, yeah, I think we'll maybe like put our best films of last year against each other. Okay. My best film is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. What's yours? Uh, I really like The Menu. The Menu? Okay. I get first elimination, I'm eliminating the menu. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I haven't seen everything everywhere all at once, which is one of the reasons why me and Ben were a bit wary about doing a movie categories because we realized we hadn't seen each other's movies. Um, yeah. But, uh, I mean, uh, the reason I haven't watched everything everywhere all at once is when it came out, there was the discourse TM about it that just became so insufferable that I was like, I knew if I watched the film now, I wouldn't enjoy it. Like, mm. I kind of think I'll probably watch it in a month or two because it's like the discourse has died down. I mean, it still comes every up every so often. Somebody will mention it, and then Twitter will argue about it for hours. And I'm just like, I just, I just want to enjoy the movie on my own terms. I might not enjoy it. I, I might be one of those people who didn't like it, but. I also might be one of those people who really loved it. So and I want to have that on my own terms. I struggle to think how people did not like this movie. How did these people exist? <laughs> it's, it's everything. Like, how can you hate everything? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's everything. And it's all at once. Yeah, no, it is everything. This this movie has everything. It also has a load of references to movies that I do love, like One Car Wise, uh, In the Mood for Love, my favorite film of all time. It has a direct reference to it. Um uh, and references to many other things as well. It is a movie that I've watched eight times because I watched it twice on my own and then every single person in my life I invited around to come watch it. I watched it with my dad twice. I watched it with uh, some other people I know. I got everyone around that I could to come watch this movie because it gets better every single time you watch it. It is packed with references. It is laden with a, a, a craftsman's careful touch. Uh, having these kind of core ways in which it looks at how people communicate, how they fight, um, how their relationship works, uh, and exemplifies them throughout all the elements of that character. And then a fight between nihilism and uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. It's brilliant. I um, And I don't want to spoil it for Dave, uh, which I guess is kind of a bit one of the issue. Thi- I mean, well, they don't necessarily kind of spoiled a lot, yeah. but uh, as you're uh, prone to say, um, if it can be spoiled, if you, if it the experience good, can be yeah. ruined by spoil by knowing what happens, then it wasn't a very good story to begin with. So yeah. I don't think I'm going to have a problem with that. I just 
when when I hear people criticize it as things like people are like, oh my god, the mother is so terrible. Like how dare the how dare the movie have a message where it's like you have to accept people who have been terrible to you in your life. And I'm like, and I can tell those people are simplifying it way too much. Um, I mean, I'm somebody yeah. who doesn't I'm somebody who doesn't particularly get on with my parents, and that's putting it mildly. But like, I don't think it's necessary. Like people can be flawed in movies, and even if that is ends up being what happens in the film that's not necessarily a message of support of those things like mo- like movies and stories and characters can be bad or do bad things it's not necessarily a 100% endorsement of those things people are complicated I, I, th- like, I, I think um, there is an interesting like you know I think one of the things that people will comment on a lot is that the main character of the film does not accept that her daughter is gay um like it's uh she has you know and uh does not accept it can't get to grips with it because she comes from a very conservative uh, background uh and explores that throughout the film um i think it's uh the film has a conclusive answer in there for you if you want to look for it uh about what the film has to say about that uh and i think that if you ignore what the movie is telling you rather than what the characters are telling you then i think there's an issue here um like you know, the issue is that uh, the the mother can't accept that her daughter's gay. Uh, the grandfather, the mother won't even introduce the uh, daughter's partner to him because she kind of assumes on his behalf that he wouldn't like her. Um, and uh, she's also going through a divorce with her husband at the same time. And there's a lot of things to tie up in the end. Um, and uh, whether or not the movie does, well, it's up to you. But I I think the movie is a fantastic piece of work. I think it's brilliant. Um... The menu. Personally, I heard Ralph Fiennes uh, really doesn't like the gays, so I think we should uh, cut this one as Wait, well. What? No, I didn't. <laughs> I was like, what did Ralph Fiennes say? <laughs> I was kidding. I I'm was like, just looking I, to I'm, try to... I'm not, I'm not a Ralph Fiennes stan, but I was like, Christ alive. Like, I, mean, I was just Twitter, kidding. Twitter like, does uh, the, ruin the Twitter, the Twitter, assume, the Twitter discourse. Um, I, assumed, I assumed somebody who... Um, so like, I'm assuming he had like Twitter and like went on a homophobic rant. I'm like, oh man, Twitter ruins everyone. <laughs> no, Ray, Ray Fine seems to actually be a nice person. I was just trying to commit some uh, some horrendous... Uh, I, was, I was trying to lobby for him not to get this award. Uh, but go on, convince me. Uh, I mean, like the menu is kind of like uh, glass onion or knives out, and it's like it's the kind of film that's not allowed to be made anymore. Like if it came out like thirty years ago, it'd probably not be that remarkable. But it's just a rip roaring good time. Ralph Fiennes plays like this creepy killer who invites a bunch of rich people he wants to get revenge on uh, to like an island to serve them a meal, and he's like, "You're all gonna die by the end of the night," and you know. He's got like his serving staff who are like the working class as well. So there's like a lot of like class warfare stuff in the plot. And it's kind of hammy, but it's it's a fun ride from start to finish. Uh, there's some surprising moments in it. Uh, it turns kind of slasher, kind of thriller. It's, it's a nice blend of genres. And Anna Taylor-Joy is really good at it. Uh, uh, Princess Peach, yeah. She's Princess Peach. Oh god! She's the voice of Princess Peach in the very. Well, actually, I say that that's not a terrible choice. I just I just feel sorry for anyone who's associated with that movie. Like, mm. um, like if you're in a film with Chris Pratt, then I feel sorry for you. Like uh, that's just a rule. 
But she gets I to have be thought the... of something. Sorry, I've thought of something just there. Assuming that we've come to an impasse on this one, we have a person who actually is really good at movies who can decide this one for us. Ooh. Do you get what I'm saying? We could bring in, to be concluded on a later date, and I'll finish you talking about the menu, but if we can't come to a decision, I think maybe we should uh, call in front of the podcast Connor, who knows lots of things about movies, and they can decide our best movie out of these two options. Uh, um, I don't know if you've seen either of them. <laughs> that's perfect. Then he's impartial. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, sorry, Karen. Annie Taylor Joy, does she do a good job? Um, yeah, yeah, she's great. She's good in the lead. She plays a, a prostitute who's brought to the island uh, by one of the guests uh, and ends up, yeah, involved in the events, even though she's not really one of the targets. Uh, so, yeah, she's great as, at like trying to survive and. The way she goes sort of toe-to-toe with uh, Ralph Fiennes' character in the end is surprising uh, in the without giving anything away, it is a novel way to beat your opponent who's trying to murder you. Uh, <laughs> in a cooking contest? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They do iron shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ready, steady, cook. Like, I, can, um, I, can out, I can out-cook you. Um, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, it was just the film I sort of most enjoyed this year. There were, I mean, there were other films I watched this year that were like better, but they were all from previous years. That's the only one that came out this year that I've seen. Uh, there's a lot of films I wish I'd seen, like uh, Triangle of Sadness. I've heard is very good. Uh, I wanted to see Banshees of Insurin. Uh I was actually supposed very to watch good. it before we recorded this, and I forgot. Um, I was watching too many episodes of Columbo. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, what we can do is I will go away and I'll happily watch the menu. I think you've, I will, I will, I will get it on the go and I'll watch it. And uh, we can feel this to Connor. I think if you, unless you have any, unless you'd like to take yourself out of the race here, I think that it's. Uh, uh, I think I could probably safely say the menu probably isn't as good as everything everywhere all at once. Like. Um... But we should both read. We should both watch these. I, th- I think. I, I think, think so. Enjoy I, I think. Yeah. I think you'd love it. Like, it's yeah. definitely a film I would easily recommend to anyone. But it's not. It's not trying to be as deep or impactful. It's more trying to be entertainment, and in that respect, it succeeds wildly. But it's not necessarily deeper than it appears. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I. I think everything ever all at once. I think it's. Something that I thought was really interesting when I first watched it was I went home and I said to someone, uh, this movie feels like it was made for me. And they said, it's a movie about a load of Chinese diaspora uh, <laughs> immigrants who've <laughs> immigrated over to us to, uh, to America. And I was like, yes, I feel like it was made for me. And that like it has elements of things that I love. And it has so many elements of things that I love. And it makes you think about it like... It's kind of a weird kind of jumble of lots and lots of different things. But what courses through it is a really human element to all the madness um, that I think really shines through in some fantastic performances. Unbelievably good performances um, in that movie. I think it's um, a really special movie, actually. I think, it, I, think it's, I think it's brilliant. It really touched me. Uh, and I actually, I think as well, so much of watching a film is your experience with the film. Uh, and I actually watched it with my dad, and it is it is very much a family story, I think. 
Uh, and watching it with my dad was uh, really special to me. I think it was a really special moment. And so there's a reason why Elf is my favorite movie of all time. And it's because it always means I've come home for Christmas every year. Uh, and even though I think In the Mood for Love is a substantially better film than Elf in every single way, uh, you know, Elf is still my favorite because of the positive, you know, moments I have around that. And uh, I think that not only it being a fantastic film, but also having it backed up with a really nice moment with my dad uh, it just means that, that this is my one of my favorite movies ever. I really loved it. So film of the um, year is Elf. Film of the year is Elf, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Sadly, Will Ferrell couldn't be here to accept this award, um, so we're going to give it to Pachinko instead. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> Congratulations, Pachinko, and uh, film of the year. The Pachinko sweep. Um, okay, cool. So... I think what we can do with this award is I am happy to revise it at a later date after we've watched all these movies because I would love you to watch these movies. I'd love you to watch The Banshees of Inisherin because I think it's a fantastically tragic yet funny film. Uh, it feels like it feels like an Irish film because there's nothing more Irish than being both tragic and funny, uh, I think. <laughs> and uh, I will see everything everywhere all at once and I will watch the menu. Um, and uh, to people who are really into their movies who are shocked our lack of watching movies we do apologize we will try and fix that for next year i'm not going to change you can do one <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm happy with what i watch I'd, I'd like to watch at least a few more movies uh i'm willing to change uh i love our audience uh anyone who's listening uh yeah. i care about you and what you think and feel ben doesn't he's a monster he's cold i'm too old to change <laughs> uh. <laughs> okay and uh we'll be back tomorrow with our games of the year. Uh, Dave, do you have your games candidates to read out here as like a little teaser? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I have a couple uh, of them. Like, I know I know some of the ones that are definitely getting submitted. I just need to... Okay. Well, there will be some games. All of the games that we've played over the entire year will be up. And we will do a process like we did for five, except it will be for almost 100 games. That's right. We'll be going through all of them. There will be tears shed. There'll be blood spilled. I may be sick in my mouth a little bit and I'll have to run to the toilet. There'll be a lot of things happening and none of them will be pleasant. And eventually we will come out with a winner. And if you want to hear that, well, there's only one place you can. Um, it is the Rock Pile Video Games Podcast. It's not a video games podcast. It's just a podcast. I keep saying that. And if you've got anything you'd like to say to us, you can email us in at allrightpalpodcast at gmail.com or contact us on Twitter at allrightpalpod. Dave, are you excited for the game of the year tomorrow? I'm excited. I am ready to have the Royal Rumble in the jungle. Like, I'm ready mm. for things to get mean between us. Like, we were very civil today, you might have noticed. A lot yeah. of like, oh no, I'll, I'll eliminate my choices. I'm just going to say this. I'm not eliminating my own choices, Ben. You're going to have to fight me. This was you civil. You, you destroyed my choices. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, what okay, you, should, you should expect much worse tomorrow. <laughs> I was getting feral out here. Okay, well, thank you, uh, everyone, and uh, goodbye from me. That's goodbye from me.